Hi, you are listening to the American Psychological Association's Division 15 podcast series on emerging research in educational psychology. My name is Jeff Green. Thanks for joining us. I make errors all the time. Sometimes people ask me a question I know nothing about, and I blurt out a totally wrong answer. Other times, I think I know an answer only to find out that I made an error, and then I have to figure out what went wrong. And while I try to maintain a positive growth mindset perspective on errors, I will admit that sometimes they make me really frustrated. Luckily, it turns out people can and often do learn from making errors. That's good, because even after all these years, I'm still messing up all the time. Hopefully, I'm also still learning a lot, too. But why do people learn from making errors, and how can we design instruction to maximize that learning? That's what Qian Zhang and Logan Fiorella described in their wonderful article in Educational Psychologist, which we're discussing today. Let's hope I didn't make too many errors reading their article, or if I did, that Qian can help me learn from them. Dr. Xian Zhang earned her PhD in educational psychology at the University of Georgia in May of 2022. Her research focused on learning from errors and generative learning strategies such as learning by drawing and learning by self-explaining. In her dissertation research, she investigated the effect of applying generative learning strategies in students learning from errors. She is currently working as a data scientist at the Educational Testing Service. Today, we're talking about Xian's 2023 article in Educational Psychologist entitled An Integrated Model of Learning from Errors, which she wrote with Logan Fiorella. So, Chien, congratulations on the great article published in Educational Psychologist. Thank you. So, I'm really excited to talk to you about your article today, and I want to start with the first line from your abstract, right at the beginning. You wrote, errors are inevitable in most learning contexts, but under the right conditions, they can be beneficial for learning. Can you talk to us about how errors can be beneficial for learning? Oh, definitely. So, obviously, like you said, we all make errors all the time. However, if you're familiar with learning theories, a lot of scholars actually mentioned a long time before that errors are the starting point of learning most of the time. For example, um, in Pierre's theory of cognitive development, you can learn from this theory that learning is actually triggered by any like contradictions or insufficient knowledge moment you realize while children are solving problems. Similarly, other learning theories such as impasse-driven learning theory by Van Lin, <laughs> she also explained that when students get stuck in problem solving, that's when they are more aware of their deficient knowledge. So they have the motivation to resolve this impasse and to mm-hmm. learn better. So er- errors are kind of the first step to new learning. They kind of inspire and trigger people to start exploring what they got wrong and why. Yes, exactly. So how did you get interested in doing research on errors and learning from them? Yeah. So as in your introduction, my earlier research in my PhD program was all about generative learning strategies. Mm-hmm. Specifically, my research focused on learning by drawing. And I ran all of my experiments personally, so I observed tons of learning experience in learning by drawing. Mm-hmm. So in one experiment, we asked students to draw the human regulatory system by reading the text about it. Mm-hmm. And then we provided students with an expert-generated picture of that human regulatory system and asked students to revise their drawings based on this picture. Surprisingly, there is a large variance in the ability of students to revise their drawings, 
you can see from the data that some students did a great job revising、mm -hmm. their drawings, but other students has had no clues how to revise their drawings, how to learn from this experience. <laughs> That's、yeah. how I started wonder why, <laughs> how、yeah. people like have different abilities, how people have different strategies to deal with their errors.、Mm -hmm. So that's how everything started. That is so cool. I love it when people are close to data, when they're close to participants, when they're close to learning phenomenon, and they notice something that sparks their interest. Right? Like that's how great、yeah. work starts. Like you kind of you're in there and you see something. That's great. It's, it's just like Piaget, actually. Right? Same thing. <laughs> yeah.、Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're noticing that students are making errors. You're wondering why. You're wondering why some are are doing better. And so, one of the things that I think many people outside of educational psychology or the study of learning might be surprised by is that in some cases, when people are asked to try to answer questions before they've learned anything, even that and the errors they create can help them learn later on. Can you explain to us kind of why that is? Why is it that people can be asked to try to explain something without learning about it and make errors? And still learn better. Yeah, so that phenomena is not actually new, and is well researched in both memory research and in some research in educational psychology.、Mm -hmm. So, from the memory research side, we have this famous pre-testing effect, where you just give participants some word pairs or vocabularies and let them guess what it means or what should be the、uh, answer to these word pairs. And after that, they learn some feedback, and you find you you will find out that the people who get this pretest compared to people who never get a pretest just learn the feedback. The pretesting group always do better.、Uh, similar thing happening, a、uh, research happening in educational psychology is also well known, which is called predictive failure. So this group of research often ask students to solve some problems they've never seen before,、uh, or even before they learn the concepts of this problem solving. So they will make errors. Of course, they will fail in the problem solving. However, once you give them some、uh, again feedback or instructions later, they will learn better. So across these two lines of research. There are some common explanations there. The two most common ones are: first of all, when you try to answer or respond to a learning task, although you know nothing about it, because you have to answer the question, your knowledge is activated. Your、mm -hmm. prior knowledge.、Mm -hmm. Well, some people might say, like, if you don't know the answer, how your prior knowledge could be related to the answer? Well, that's something that we explain in model. That's、mm -hmm. kind of the key that will determine how well you can learn from your errors. But anyway, your prior knowledge got activated, and once that prior knowledge got activated, that actually provides a fertile context. In your brain, that will help you encode or integrate the subsequent knowledge or information better.、Mm -hmm. So that's one key mechanism. The other one is when people make errors, they got alert. Oh, oh my God! I don't know this, so they got like um, be aware that uh, they're insufficient in their knowledge or competence. That's when the magic happens. That will direct. Your attention that will boost、mm -hmm. your attention, boost、mm -hmm. your motivation to learn something later. So that's two very common mechanisms to explain this phenomenon. 
that makes a ton of sense once you explain it, right? So there's these kind of cognitive phenomena that happens, like there's this activation that, as you said, kind of makes your mind more fertile and ready to learn. But then there's all these kind of motivational aspects too. And I I really like how you're bringing kind of both pieces together in your explanation of why pre-testing or asking questions for learning can work well. Mm -hmm. So another piece that you talk about when you're kind of introducing these ideas in your paper is a lot of the research has been done with learning kind of basic knowledge or declarative knowledge, kind of factual knowledge, but actually there's research out there on how errors can help with learning higher level ideas and also self-regulated learning ideas. Can you talk a little bit about those areas of scholarship? Yes. So for the higher level learning aspects, we have a lot of research done in educational psychology, Mm -hmm. investigating. Well, actually, (laughs) you might be aware that there are always debates about Mm -hmm. if we should ask students to solve problems first and then give them instructions, or if we just use worked out examples to give the instructions first. So that's a long debate. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, as we said in the the very beginning of the article, no matter what your wish is, we we want to live in an ideal world. There's no errors. However, errors happens. So Mm -hmm. uh, we Mm -hmm. are more interested in, okay, now it happens, how we can deal with it to learn better. So that's why we still want to learn from the problem solving before instruction research in our educational psychology field. So in that field, we already have tons of evidence showing that if you provide students with problem solving tests before any formal instruction, they can learn better compared to you ask students to learn worked out examples under a lot of cases. And how that happens, actually, I kind of explained a little bit in the previous question, is that students' prior knowledge got activated and their attention got boosted, their motivation got boosted. So that's pretty much how they learn from there. Mm-hmm. And we also have a line of research. Well, actually, um, it's all research in self-assessment mm-hmm. uh, where they actually have evidence showing that if you ask students to self-assess, or self-diagnose their own work, that will boost their self-regulated learning and skills, such Mm -hmm. as their motivational beliefs, self-efficacy, and their self-monitoring skills, like the judgment of learning accuracy. And that that makes a ton of sense, right? So you're kind of prompting students to do the self-assessment work that with time, hopefully becomes internalized and becomes that kind of metacognitive monitoring piece. Maybe they're more motivated to do that. Maybe they develop a disposition to do that. So I really like how your article outlines that the benefits of learning from errors are not just about basic knowledge, but also about kind of higher level knowledge, but then also these more process aspects of learning. So it, it does sound like errors can be a really powerful tool to promote learning. Yeah. So let's get to your theoretical model, which is really helpful. So you have this kind of integrated theoretical model for learning from errors. And there's kind of two phases, right? There's two parts. There's, you know, what happens if an error occurs before learning the content or material? And then what happens if the error occurs after learning the material? So, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't have to cover every detail of your model. I encourage our readers to get the article and read it really carefully because there's a lot of information there. But like in general, let's see if we can kind of step through it. So when we think about errors that happen before learning, what you call the generating errors phase, can you walk us through kind of what happens and how those errors affect learning? Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned before, people 
can generating errors before they initially learn something or mm -hmm. after they already learned this stuff.、Mm -hmm. For example, you may generating errors before you learn anything about physics concept. You generate error just because you don't know. You haven't learned it before. However. It happens to us a lot of times. Even after we learn something, or even several times, we still make errors, right? Yep, yep I do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no matter which case, the general process is similar. The very, very first step in this whole process is to activate your prior knowledge.、Mm -hmm. Again, people wonder if I never learned anything about a physics concept, how can I activate my prior knowledge about it? Well, you might be surprised about how large your prior knowledge in your long-term memory is.、Mm. Um, we have, like, in our experiment, for example. Some students they have never learned anything about formal physics concepts, so they know nothing about these concepts about velocity. However, they do know what does velocity mean in English, right? <laughs> so、okay. they might think, okay, it might be something related to speed. So they generate some solutions about speed instead of velocity, and then they can learn more later about velocity. So、mm -hmm. no matter what. You're gonna activate some of your prior knowledge to enable to generate some response. So that's a very first step. However, depending on how much or how little your prior knowledge about the task we ask you generate, that determines how your response relate to the knowledge we want you to learn. So that's when we start have this differentiation when your response. Semantically related to the target knowledge, or it has nothing to do with the target knowledge at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the、uh, kind of the generating error phase. Gotcha. Okay, so I, I really like your example, and I, I think you're right. Like, even if people say they don't know anything about something, they probably have kind of a network、yeah. of prior knowledge that can be activated that. Is at least somewhat related. That you know, kind of makes that ground fertile, as you said earlier.、Yeah. Okay, so now we have this distinction between whether their response was semantically associated with the target knowledge or not,、mm -hmm. and now we're in what you call the detecting and correcting error phase. So, can、yeah. you talk us through what happens there? Yeah, exactly. So, depending on your how your response related to the target knowledge, we will have a different path、mm -hmm. in this detecting and correcting error phase. So, if you read the article and look at the graph about our model, you can see that no matter your response is semantically related to the knowledge or not, you are able to correct. And detect and correct the surface error, what we call in our model. So I probably need to give some explanation about this definition between、sure. um, <laughs> differentiation between a surface error and deep error. So、mm -hmm. when you make errors and compare to the answer, the correct answers, you will first of all notice there's something wrong there, something different between my answer and the correct answer. So、mm -hmm. that observable difference there, that's the surface error. However, how you produce the error that is have to go back to your underlying knowledge that help you produce that response, right? So that's the deep error in、mm. your knowledge in your concepts.、Mm -hmm. So no matter your response is related to the target knowledge or no, you will always notice the surface error, and you are able to correct the surface error. 
simple. You just copy and paste the correct answer, right? <laughs> But that doesn't mean you successfully correct your deep error. And that's what we want the learning happens to correct your deep error. So how you correct that deep error totally depends on how you process the reference information, which is a correct answer or the external feedback, and how you generate some internal feedback yourself to help you correct this deep error. So I, I like this distinction between surface and deep errors. It reminds me of kind of surface and deep knowledge and surface structure and, and deep structure and that kind of thing. I think it aligns really nicely. So You know, it could be that people start out just noticing and correcting maybe surface errors, but with time, as they kind of build their background knowledge, they develop some kind of deep knowledge that might also need correcting. And so, as you said, people correct those deep errors using internal self-assessment and internal feedback. So kind of what, what does that look like? What does the research say about how self-assessment and internal feedback can lead to changes in deep errors? Yeah, that, that's a great, great question, because from my perspective, this internal feedback is kind of the core of the whole learning from errors process. And if you ask me to explain what internal feedback is, it's not a new concept. I, I didn't invent this concept. It, <laughs> it is a concept, actually. Uh, it is borrowed from self-assessment research. Yeah. But I believe as early as in some self-regulated learning models proposed by Wing and Philip Wynn, so they mm -hmm. already talk about like this internal feedback in their self-regulated learning models. My understanding of this internal feedback is kind of like a self-talk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it's like, oh, how did I do this? And how can I improve my knowledge? How am I supposed to correct my behaviors before? So something like that it ha happens internally. Mm -hmm. But there is a difference between if it's a high quality internal feedback or it's a, just a you know low quality or just your reactions to the situation. Sure. So give you an example. After you figure out, oh, gosh, I made an error, then some people might just start ruminating on this. <laughs> so mm -hmm. how stupid I am. Uh, I don't even know this. What does this mean? But all of that thoughts, uh, massive thoughts, that, that, those are all internal feedback. However, it's not very beneficial for your learning. Mm -hmm. But for other students, for more skillful learners, they might start thinking about, um, oh, I made this error, so there might be something wrong with my underlying knowledge. And what is that? What is a specific thing that I don't understand, right? Mm -hmm. And what should be my next steps to in order to understand the, the thing I don't understand? So it, he or she might have this plan strategies or even very specific questions about this deep error in her or his underlying knowledge. So he or she can start act effectively to address that. So that's why we said in our paper that this internal feedback thing is really the core that determine how well you can learn from your errors. Yeah, and that gets, as you said, that ties into self-regulation and self-talk yes. and motivation to question yourself. And, and as you said, not to be too hard on yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Spend more time trying to correct the deep knowledge as opposed to just kind of, you know, yelling at yourself, which is yeah. something I do sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so your theory uh, is really helpful. It brings together a number of different areas of scholarship when it comes to errors. And as you said, 
there are debates in the field, but I think your model does a nice job of kind of putting everything in its place and kind of saying, you know, when people make errors, what's happening and how are they learning? The other piece of your article that I really like that I think is a, a really important contribution is that you derive some design principles, some ways to design instruction given how we learn from errors. And so I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about how we can design instruction to help people learn from that first phase when they generate an error. How can we help people learn the most or learn most effectively in a generating error kind of structure? Yeah. So as you said, actually, one of the biggest contribution of our model is to help people start systematically thinking about learning from errors, this topic. So mm-hmm. if you look at our model, you will notice that if you ever want to help a person or students to learn from their errors, you can target either the generating errors phase or the detecting and correcting error phase mm-hmm. or both, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to help students in the very first phase, the generating error phase, then you probably want to make sure, according to our model, that make sure students generate meaningful errors. When we say meaningful, we mean that their response should be semantically related to the target knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, there are two ways, but they are all targeting how you design your error generation task. So uh, when you design an error generation task, you can determine how you design the content of the task. You can also determine how you want students to do with your task, like the activity during this phase. So there are tons of research about this, especially in memory research and in those productive failure research. So what we found from past research so far is that, for example, uh, regarding the content of this task, you can design very challenging yet feasible learning tasks so that students can generate something meaningful. Or Mm -hmm. you can provide some guidance and even practice opportunities for students to do with those challenging tasks because they are also new to this learning method, maybe. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And when it comes to what students can do with this learning task, for example, we may ask students to do different invention tasks In the research about learning through inventing, learning by inventing methods, they ask students to either invent multiple methods or they ask students to invent, okay, you have to generate only one inventing method in this example. And they found that that if you ask students to invent only one method, that's better than ask them to generate multiple ones. So there are something that you can manipulate there. And in the detecting, correcting error phase, Again, it comes to the content and what students do. But now it's not really about generating errors. It's about how you provide feedback, how you provide this reference information after errors. Mm -hmm. So about the content uh, of the reference information, we have evidence or research from self-assessment. They do a lot of experiments testing all different types of content, such as rubrics, worked out examples, or scripts. Mm -hmm. And different contents might be beneficial for different types of tasks because maybe you're designing a open-ended task or it's a a closed-ended task, so you will use different reference information. And also, interestingly, in memory research, they did a lot of research in terms of how we present this external feedback. So 
whether we should have a delay between the errors and the feedback, or should we just present part of the correct answers instead of the、mm-hmm. whole answer the very、mm-hmm. first time? So that's there's something there you can do. But I personally think what's most important in this phase is what students do with the reference information,、mm-hmm. specifically. Students need to first of all make sense of the information, and there are a lot of ways that how they can make sense of this. They can simply read it, or they probably could apply some strategies, especially generative strategies, to better understand the information. For example, they can self-explain, they can self-test, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, they probably can use even more creative strategies to to do this. For example, just draw out. Use a diff, totally different representation to represent information again to help them better understand. So this、mm-hmm. is how they make sense of the information. But they should also be aware of how they compare their response with the information, and that's another thing that teacher can support or students can support themselves by、mm-hmm. uh, again applying powerful strategies such as self-explaining to really explain why. The correct answer is correct, and why their incorrect answers are incorrect. So that's how that's how they can really learn from their errors. Super helpful, and I'll tell you what I, I really like. So you know, I know that when I'm designing instruction, very often what I'm thinking about is how can I most efficiently help people understand the material, and that's、mm-hmm. important. But your model helps us think about okay, people are probably going to make errors. Right, and how can we structure instruction so that they learn as much as they can from those errors? Yes, and and you know, kind of get to that understanding phase. And so, I really like what you said about structuring both the before generating error phase and structuring the detecting and correcting error after phase, so that students are maximizing the benefits of errors. Really helpful. Yes, and I really like the connections to the self-assessment literature and the self-regulation literature and helping people be better thinkers about errors and why they might have happened. So, really helpful. So, you know, there's a lot in your article that I encourage our readers to check out. There's depth and there's wonderful studies that you cite. You also identify some really exciting、um, directions for future research. So, can you talk to us about one or two that you think are particularly promising、um, that you'd love to see some research in that area? Yes, that's also I think the most exciting part of this paper mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. think about futures. So I think I mentioned this several times during our conversation about generative learning strategies.、Uh, now I really wish <laughs> Logan is here because that's Logan's expertise.、Mm-hmm. So all the generative learning strategies can be a powerful tool in learning from errors. We have done a lot of research using all these generative learning strategies in different areas, such as learning from texts or learning in all kinds of STEM fields. But no research has investigated how we can apply these well-researched strategies in this specific situation, which is learning from errors.、Mm-hmm. So that's also why I did my dissertation study, where we try to investigate how learning by drawing and learning by self-explaining. Can help biochemistry students to learn better from the errors, and we got some very、uh, promising results there. So that's one direction, and another direction I—it's、uh, always my personal favorite—is when we talk about generating errors. Currently, you see clearly in the literature that we almost always talk about verbal response. 
or textual response to learning tasks. There were maybe two, three studies that they designed generating error tasks that asked students to generate visual representations. So that's something very promising and exciting that we should consider about how we externalize student prior knowledge in a different representation. Uh, so, yeah, so that's uh, another very uh, exciting uh, future direction that researchers can go about. And the third direction, I think it's, I feel like it's really in its very early stage of this direction, but I mm-hmm. think it's also very, very promising. It's the negative emotions people or students experience in learning mm-hmm. from errors. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a huge deal. I I personally always think like emotions really rule human cognition. <laughs> if you are feeling bad at the moment, your yeah. cognition is not working at all. <laughs> right, right. So that how like how teachers, instructors can help students regulate that negative emotions which are inevitable. Uh, is a very important research topic in this learning from errors field. Mm-hmm. And finally, I believe everybody has uh, learned a lot or heard a lot about AI, uh, <laughs> exciting <laughs> AI technology these days about mm-hmm. ChatGPT. So this article obviously is published before that and is written before that. But all the whole ChatGPT thing really makes me think more about how we use such AI opportunities to boost students' ability to learn from errors. Mm -hmm. Because if you have ever played with ChatGPT, you know that the best way to use it is to ask good questions, like Mm -hmm. high quality questions. Mm -hmm. But I don't think people know how to ask good follow-up questions after they found out their errors or mm-hmm. after they realize they don't even understand the feedback, you know? So, mm-hmm. for example, if you ask students to solve a problem and then you give him the right answer, they may not even understand the right answer at the moment. Then what? How they can ask good follow-up question to further help them better understand the answer and to mm-hmm. help them learn from errors. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is hard because you don't know what you don't know, right? But... Right. Uh, obviously, the, all the AI tools we have now, maybe they can serve as a more knowledgeable agent to help students elicit better follow-up questions in this process. Interesting. That's really interesting. So it's almost like a learning by teaching thing where yep. like, if I can ask ChatGPT the right questions to get it to refine its answer and correct one of the many errors that thing mm-hmm. always makes, that might help people do the same for themselves, basically, exactly. like make them. Yeah, exactly. that's cool. Yeah, that sounds like a very cool use of chat GPT, which otherwise <laughs> I'm fairly skeptical of. So um, yeah, I yeah. hope some researchers will do some experience with it. <laughs> that's a great idea. That's a super great idea. Yeah, I'd love to see someone, maybe you or someone else do some research like that. That'd be great. So this is just a wonderful article. I encourage our listeners to check it out and congratulations for getting it published. I know that um, there are many people out there that would love to have a manuscript published in Educational Psychologist. And as someone who has successfully done that, do you have any advice you'd like to share with those people? Well, I have to admit that the 
process of generating this whole article is very painful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. It is painful. Uh, but I mean, the result, right? Uh, we got it published in such a high-end journal. The result is very comforting and it's very rewarding. But mm-hmm. again, I really hope Logan is here right now because the very first day I started my PhD program, I asked him probably the similar question, like, how can you be a good scholar during your PhD experience or in the future as a researcher? His answer is super simple. However, I basically take this answer as a principle in all my research career, which is read a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. Also, one thing that's very, very important to anyone who wants to publish an article like this or, you know, just publish articles in general when they do literature review. So it's frustrating, but it's a fact. I don't think people point this out a lot where you find out that although some articles, especially classical articles or classical empirical studies, you have read 10 times but you still have to go back to read again. <laughs> yep, yep. So that's something I, I wish, especially young scholars, like PhD students, I wish they could realize that's common, that's normal, and you just got to do it. Mm-hmm. For this article particularly, I definitely did tons of literature review because this topic has been discussed a lot. It's mm-hmm. just nobody has tried to organize everything together under a coherent framework. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just talking about this topic, learning from errors in their own field. So I have to kind of synthesize everything together to make this model. And in that process, one thing is very helpful. I believe this is not new to any scholar that you have a spreadsheet to organize all your literature, right? (laughs) (laughs) And during this process, you probably will find all the connections here and there. And I personally have another, I don't know if this is unique or no, but I like to draw out all the relationships across theories, across Mm -hmm. uh, empirical evidence, Mm -hmm. like a huge concept map. (laughs) Yeah, great. Yeah, so that's where you start to see the patterns, start to see the structure. But Logan also helped me a lot in this process to structure all the ideas in a great way. Yeah, You know, I couldn't agree more. It's really important to read deeply and broadly. And, you know, so I have a friend and she tells me that, uh, I don't know if she still does this or not, but I know that in the past when she would meet with her new advisee on the first day, she'd be like, you know, nice to meet you. Want to help you any way I can. Go read 100 articles and come back to me. You know, and that's obviously, (laughs) it's a little... You know, a little flip, but, you know, there's something to it, right? Just this idea of you just have to read extensively and good articles like yours take, as you said, kind of a big literature where people haven't integrated it and and try to put it together in a way that makes sense. And that's what your article does with an expansive literature that's been kind of contentious and kind of all over the place. And that's the learning from errors literature. So really good advice. I like the idea of a spreadsheet. People need a system to kind of organize their reading and concept maps are always a good idea. So thanks for all the good advice. I know that, you know, there's life after an educational psychologist article, thankfully. So let's take a minute to talk about your current scholarship. What are you working on right now? That's really exciting to you. 
Uh, right. So I mentioned this before that we actually did some experiments using this model also、mm-hmm. to test out our model, including we did an experiment to test out how we design self-explanation prompts to help students learn from errors in physics concepts. And、mm-hmm. for my dissertation studies, I collaborate with a professor in biochemistry. So again, we design all the learning activities by using drawings and using self-explaining to help、mm-hmm. their students to learn better from their errors.、Mm-hmm. So all of these studies are under development in terms of writing the paper and analyzing the results. So that's most of the stuff I'm working on, like scholarly, <laughs> in this research. That's exciting. Good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. So that seems like a great place to wrap it up for today. I encourage our listeners to check out Chien and Logan's 2023 article in Educational Psychologist entitled "An Integrated Model of Learning from Errors."、Uh, Chien, thanks so much for your hard work on this article, and thanks for talking to me about it today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a great opportunity and a great conversation. Thank you. Sure, it was fun. And finally, to you, our listener, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast application. Please consider rating and reviewing us. You can also go to the APA Division Fifteen website, and all of our podcasts are there, linked in the publications section. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>